We're all on the Barocca now from the Super League hangover. Another victory for Pep 2 and a double win for Mason. Welcome to the Football Ramble. It's Thursday the 22nd of April. I'm Jules Breed. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Luke Moore. Welcome along, ladies and gentlemen, to Thursday's Football Ramble. I don't know about you, Andy and Luke. Are you all super leagued out? Yeah, I guess a little bit, but it's all yeah, it's all interesting stuff, isn't it? It's been wild, hasn't it? Yeah. So well, I'm I'm thinking actually Wimbledon might get into it now. <laughs> a few few spare spaces. Going. I, was, I was thinking um six out of the Premier League, shuffle the pack up a bit, boom, Pompey in the championship. I'll be, I mean, come on. And then they lost you... midweek and they'll have a seven. <laughs> <laughs> so it went to work. I was going to say, you can't chip in. Nah. Nah. No, we could, we could take a bump up to the champ, though. Yeah, yeah. all right. I yeah. suppose you'd take that. Yeah. Desperate times and all. Yeah, there, there are only a few people, obviously, in the stands at um, Wimbledon versus Oxford on Tuesday, but most of them were saying, Pompey, what a pack of useless bastards <laughs> after they lost to Swindon. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> I could not agree more. Mm. Well, the good thing about that is, and not to derail it in record time, for, even for me, <laughs> is that Portsmouth essentially had their promotion. While all this European Super League stuff was going on, the real story was that Portsmouth had their promotion tilt essentially kiboshed by two goals from Brett Pittman, who left Portsmouth because the idiot ex-manager <laughs> thought he wasn't good enough, and then he scored two against us. That's how it works when you're at Pompey. Bring back the jacket? Yeah, no. Get rid of it. <laughs> no jacket required. It's summer, baby. It is summer. Oh, that is actually, I have to say, in this last week or so, how good has it been to have this amazing weather? Oh yeah. my God, it just puts you in a good mood. Yeah. While all this chaos has been happening in the football world, and we will talk a lot more mm. about the Super League, because I know... Uh, a lot of Ramble listeners are desperate to hear Luke Moore's takes on this. <laughs> You've not had your say yet, have no, you? No, I hope I don't let them down. Man United fans are still having their say. They're blocking the entrances at Carrington this morning. It could be the straw that broke the camel's back, this. Imagine. It could be a massive seat Imagine. Change. But we'll do I that mean, in it's what we'll want. As Jules said, we'll yeah. do that in Yeah, we'll, we'll get more into that. Um, because I think for a change, should we actually talk about some football? Yeah. I was Go actually on. covering the Chelsea-Brighton match on Tuesday night and I don't think I actually talked about the football no, <laughs> at It was it? so yeah. strange. It was one of those amazing, amazing, amazing nights in terms of breaking news left, right and centre. More on the Super League to come and our takes on it. But let's start by talking about last night's games. Um, Tottenham beating Southampton by two goals to one. They did what they normally... It was like the opposite way around. Yeah, normally, normally they're the ones that go ahead and then lose the game. But instead, you had your beloved Saints to do that, Luke. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think um, it felt a bit like they were shaking off the Mourinho thing. Speaking of like hangovers, maybe it was a bit of a Mourinho hangover they were shaking off in the first half. Because... That first half was a week longer. Oh yeah, it was it was it was awful to get through. That was not leaving yeah. my room, like, delivering Lucas aid to it was, the door. It, it was like a Terence Malick film on a hangover, <laughs> and I like Terence Malick, but it can be hard work. And I think I think when we see the new manager bounce come in a lot of the time, it happens, of course, because I know it's a bit of a cliche, but it does happen because the players get a bit more zip in training. They want to impress the new manager. You've got players who perhaps weren't fancied by the old manager trying to get back in the mix, and and you and you expect to see a reaction. We didn't see that until the second half with Spurs. Mm. Um, and and that was quite interesting. But also, what was interesting is is the idea that Southampton are they're just, they are so bad now. I, I think it's gone under the radar how bad they've been. And, and and we were talking before the show, and people some some guys some of the guys were saying that actually Aston Villa have dropped off really badly, which of course they have. But Southampton, I think statistically, are the worst team in the Premier League in this calendar year. You can worst, say it twice if you want. Worst <laughs> team in the Premier League this calendar year, and um, I, I mean worse than Sheffield United. And if you look at how they performed in the semi-final of the FA Cup, which is a real opportunity for them, you know, not to even muster a shot or whatever on the shot on target, is it's, it's really, really poor. So for them to lose in that way such so late on to a Spurs goal is just going to compound their misery. I think, I think it's quite damaged. You are bloody loving this. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> I think it's actually quite... I was talking to someone about this the other day. I think it's quite damaged... Ralph Hasenhutel actually because I think his reputation of stock was very high wasn't it yeah if you look at the first half of the season I would have argued genuinely that he could have taken on a top four or five job at some point mm. I mean that's got to be off the table now well I reckon and, and the, the Andy, fact a lot that, of a lot of people would have had him in manager of the season for yeah. the, the start of the campaign oh for sure yeah. for sure but now the, the, the speculation around him is not will he go somewhere else in the Premier League it's would anyone in the Bundesliga have him right that's really? interesting. Is that is that how it's viewed over there? Yeah, and I, it's, it's interesting because I think he's he's missed a few boats there, obviously, because German clubs tie stuff up very early. So I kind of think he'll end up staying at Southampton by default next season, right. and it will 
probably be quite a big season for the future of his career. Yeah, and it was tying our stuff up pretty early that got him out of Leipzig in the first place because he got the arsehole about Nagelsmann, didn't he? Yes. So, yeah, cuts both ways, I guess. Don't you think it's funny how they how it's so different how managerial changes work over in Germany compared to over here, Andy, as well? Totally. It was funny. That, what she means how... is German clubs seem like they know what they're doing. <laughs> how, but how quickly it moves in Germany, mm. I, th- I think, mm. was maybe what you were saying, George. Yeah. I mean, it was funny because after the Leeds-Liverpool game, on Monday night, it barely finished, and someone stuck a microphone under Carl Heinz Rummenigge and said, "Klopp, would you have him?" Oh, really? And he just went, "Well, he's not free at the moment, is he?" <laughs> right, okay. Which is not exactly a no, yeah. is it? By well, the way, well, speaking of managers, I mean, Ryan Mason, obviously in the in the Spurs dugout, big win for him. Yeah, really big. And I think you know, I, I, we, I've worked with Ryan Mason a couple of times. Not really nice fella. Um, I was, I, I didn't quite know, um, perhaps because I'm, you know, not as knowledgeable as foot, about football as I think I am. Um, I didn't know he was lined up to to take over. I, thought, I had no idea. Yeah, and so no idea. Amazing to see him because he looks so young as well, and because because he obviously had to retire so early. He is actually um, 29. He was born in 1991. It's mad. That the, is the, crazy. the first first under 30 Premier League manager. Yeah, that's right. Is that the right? youngest ever, I think. Okay, mm. right. And so um, you'd obviously look. You'd have to have a heart of stone to begrudge him after what he's been through as a, as a player. You know, mm. it's such a difficult. Um, such a difficult time of it as a player and he's always really, really lovely to work with. Um, so I wish him well, but this is a big job for him. I mean, this is a massive, massive job. You can't realistically see him having the job long term, but um, for them to turn it around like they did, given the legacy of what Mourinho left behind in terms of their, as you've already mentioned, Jules, their, their kind of dropping off uh, in, in second halves was um, was pretty pretty good to see. And I imagine also that, that Spurs fans probably just saw it as a really nice tonic. You know, it's a guy who loves the club, who's been at the club for a long time, um, was there before, obviously, before he went away and came back again. And um, I saw a photo doing the rounds of him being photographed with a big Spurs logo in the background and stuff and people being really pleased about it. So, look, it, it might bring the feel-good factor back, but it's going to be a tough job for him, isn't it? I think that's what it is, though. The feel-good factor is so important because I think that that has all been a bit lost with Tottenham lately, 100%. hasn't it? And I think that, as you've pointed out there, Luke, Ryan Mason is the sort of guy that's so likeable. He's so nice and he comes across so well that you can imagine the players are all going to want to achieve something for him. I was quite yeah. surprised to hear that actually he was being given the job until the end of the season. I, I mean, I know there's not long of the season left, but I thought that when Mourinho left, they probably had someone in mind to take over. It seems like such odd timing, the Mourinho sacking ahead of a cup final. Um, but now, wow, what an opportunity for him. He gets to potentially win a trophy. I know it's me difficult because possibly no Harry Kane for the cup final against City, but... What a massive opportunity for him as a young manager. It really is. And I think it's all about the chronology, actually, because, you know, I've heard a lot of people say, well, you keep on Mourinho because if there's one thing he can do, he can win cup finals. But it's it's a cup final against this Manchester City as well. I think they had to try something. And if right. that's if that's a, a new manager bounce, especially with someone who's as well-liked as as Ryan Mason, it's worth a go because that final against City, there's no way around it. It's a long shot. It is a long shot. It's going to be really, yeah. really difficult for them whether Mourinho goes to the stage. And the idea that hanging on to him is precisely what he was brought there for. He wasn't brought there to win the, the League Cup. No. And, and the idea that he is a guy who wins finals, well, old Mourinho wins finals. Current Mourinho? I, I mean, where is he? Yeah, what have you seen to suggest that he will he will be able to do that? I mean, I completely agree. Look, the game itself was was good in the second half. I thought um, that was an amazing double save from Hugo Lloris. Incredible! My goodness me! I know it kind of Shea Adams kind of hit it straight at him, but he was up quick. Yeah, the look on Shea Adams' face—you don't often get that off a player. No, you can believe not, it. Not a genuine one. You no. time, sometimes get a hands through the hair pose for camera, but <laughs> yeah. that wasn't one of those. It was a what? How did that not go in? No, and I yeah. think if that had happened in the sixties, um, he would have clapped him. And probably maybe shaking him by the hand. And the goalkeeper wouldn't have had a glove on. You know, Hugo Lloris, <laughs> five years older than Ryan Mason. If other, if other Premier League managers picked goalkeepers that were five years their senior, yeah. we'd, we'd have some some real classics <laughs> in goal. Imagine if Roy Hodgson did it. Who would he have? Who would he have in goal? Apparently he'd have Dino Zoff, <laughs> who is 79 now, Dino Zoff. Can you believe that? Incredible. Love yeah. it. But you don't need to run about a lot as a goalkeeper. Yeah. Maybe a bit more these days. Yeah. yeah. He'd arguably be better than Jordan Pickford. <laughs> I'm just kidding, uh, but no. I, I also liked. Um, I also found the decision to rule out Son's first goal quite harsh. Yeah, me too. Mainly because I have Reggion in my fantasy team, and he right. would have had the assist. I was very annoyed about that. That ship sailed for me. Thought you got away with it. Nah. Is, no. is this like the point in the season where Manchester City is so far in front that the bookies pay out? <laughs> 
Yeah, kind of. Just me, give the lady your money. Me, me and Come George, on. We also had a, we also had an agreement that one of the loser would cook the other one dinner, and so a Sunday roast because we both love a Sunday roast, Jules and I. And um, I've made, put it this way: I've, I've already thought about starting uh, to find out availability. Well, let, have you already like... selected your preferred meat? <laughs> Lamb, please. Okay. Um, but you know Spring, what? Spring, great time of year for you. It. Know what? I think it might have been Vish who made a very good point. Who said, "Why would you?" allow the loser to cook because they could poison you. I'm not going to poison you, Jules. <laughs> Fucking hell. That's such a fish yeah. comment. I know, I, know the Jules fish, I know the Jules fish dynamic is occasionally poisonous, but I'm not going to get involved in that. Anyway, you've yeah, lost. I have. Um, so yeah, good times. Well, not good times because you didn't get the assist. But yeah, as you say, I mean, it's all of those those offsides when a player stands in the way and mm. are they interfering or not? Nah. Mm. Nah. Meh. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's meh. a bit meh. Yeah, I get, I get what you mean. Uh, but there you go. Sonny on the penalties as well. No Harry Kane on the pitch. Stepped up. Took it quite nicely, didn't he, to win the game? Tucked nice. it away under yeah. pressure in the last minute. Got, got, to be, got to be admired for that for sure. What does Gareth Bale have to do to get a mention on here? <laughs> Great goal. Great <laughs> go goal. Then. What a finish. Yeah, yeah very nice. Very nice. I'm, I'm, I'm really intrigued to see what happens with him next season. I know that's probably one of the... Because so many huge things have been overshadowed by this Super League week. Mourinho leaving for a start. I mean, on one hand, it's how much is his stock fallen that it's the second biggest story in football this week. I saw someone tweet something, uh, Mourinho's the only manager to be sacked from the European Super League, which was quite funny. Yeah, that was, that was excellent. <laughs> Very good. But yeah, so um, Spurs beating um, Southampton by two goals to one. Also 2-1 last night between Manchester City and Villa and also the team who went ahead end up losing the game. So Man City coming back to win. Man City are now just three wins off lifting the Premier League title. I mean, it's obviously going to happen. We all know that's good. I love the Man United fans this week who are like, oh, is there still yeah. a chance? Yeah. Is there? No. No, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. That's obviously done and dusted. I thought this was an interesting game. I, I, I was very, very pleased. As someone who co-hosts an England, a dedicated England show with a very, very passionate England supporter in Marcus, I was delighted that John Stones gave us something to talk about because that was horrific. That was yeah. absolutely horrific. I don't. It's, it's amazing to me how players of such ability and such quality and such uh, even just such trophies under their belt, right, um, can still make decisions so weirdly in like quite like fairly kind of innocuous areas of the pitch. Doesn't need to be there. Doesn't need to be doing that. It's, it's crazy that still happens to a player of that quality. It, I mean, I mean, for those who didn't see it, I can't remember who it was who gets the ball. The Aston Villa player gets the ball on about the halfway line and turns past Stones as Stones comes steaming in. And it, it's not even a 90-10. No. Like it's, I mean, people talk about 50-50s. It's not even mm. a 90-10. And he's gone <laughs> and Stones absolutely cleans him out. And I completely agree. I have sympathy with people who, who say that, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, that's a yellow card. But these days, that's a red. But yeah, 10, 15, 10 15 years ago, referees should have been giving more red cards. Yeah. Well, 10, 15 years ago, John Stones was 10 years old and wouldn't be making that decision anyway. <laughs> yeah. it, 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 is, it is a dictionary definition red card. It's There's absolutely no need to do it. And what's more, he now misses a cup final because of it. It's, it's brainless. It's so many, It's like brainless in four different dimensions. There's an England game, England tournament coming up. There's a cup final this weekend and you've done it in the middle of the pitch for no reason. Just it's absolute it's, head it's, loss, isn't it's it? It's mad. It's mad. And he kind of did the similar thing on the first goal. Yeah, I agree. It was a similar sort I of like weird lurch. I actually thought that's what you lurch. were talking about at the start until you, until you went no. into it, yeah. But it, he was so like positionally unsure. Mm. It kind of made me think, was Ruben Diaz wearing a Nicolas Otamendi mask or yeah, something right. like that? That's the problem, Andy. Because he and seemed that... to have totally lost his bearings. That was old stones, wasn't exactly. it? Exactly, and that's the problem. That's Are we essentially saying that if, if Ruben Diaz hasn't got him on a fucking string, he can't be trusted to make right decisions? You know, you know because if you... that's the case, we're in big trouble in the, in the, in the yeah, summer. Yeah, for sure. You know when you see parents that have got their kids on leads? Yeah. That always really bothers yeah. me. I yeah. don't oh, like the, the, the backpacks with the leads <laughs> on. Yeah. yeah, it's weird, isn't it? I yeah. don't like that at all. You're suggesting that that's what Ruben Diaz should do with John Stone? No, I actually think that <laughs> Andy, think Andy perhaps made the point a few weeks ago when we were talking about their, how good City's defence was and how improved John Stone's was. And I think you made the very good point back then, Andy, that actually Ruben Diaz being next to him has made all the difference. And oh, it has. And the, the, the thing is, he's not just a lead by example kind of guy. He's a born captain. He's loud. Whether he's been in the team 10 minutes or 10 games or 10 years, he's going to say, 
you stand there, you pick yeah. that guy. You know, he's he's one of those. You would love to have Ruben Dias in the nicest possible way on your Sunday team or your five-a-side team. Do you know what amazes yeah. me, though? Like, how much professional footballers need someone like that to tell them what to do? That amazes me. It's because just it's, like, surely you know Because the other do. team players are really good. <laughs> so that's why. They're good as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but... No, but a defence has to work as a yeah. whole yeah. In, in a way that other parts of the team don't have team to, to, team, to the same right? extent. Yeah. And yeah. Also, so a lot of the old school kind of Italian um, coaches they used to tie the players together in training, didn't they? To make sure they moved up and, up and down together. And that's a Guardiola favourite. Right? Yeah. The, the old rope. Just don't take the rope off. <laughs> leave the rope on for the game. I'm sure ru- there's nothing in the laws that says you can't. I was about to say, are there any rules? Yeah, are I don't there know. any rules around that? Tie them up. Are you not allowed? Not like that. Time up, time up. Can't remember the last time I did like a three-legged race when you're tied to someone. That's pretty, yeah. that's pretty difficult. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't mean time up like I'm gonna have to tie up the lamb for our Sunday dinner. <laughs> um, by the way, Matty Cash got involved as well. Of course he did. Yeah, love that, a bit of Matty Cash. That was He's a great, been great this season. Yeah, that was a great. Um, that was a great red card because he had already been booked quite recently before that. Mm-hmm. It was and, like three minutes, I think. Yeah, and it came after he got annoyed with himself for not being able to control the ball properly <laughs> and just cleaned someone out and then just walked off. It was like he completely wrapped his hand in. I've had enough of this. I've had enough of this. <laughs> it was funny how he sort of started to walk off and then thought, should I hang around just in case the referee gets it wrong? But yeah. but by then, you've made the move. Yeah. The thing is, when I see Matty Cash, I always think of Brian Clough because... Um, Matty Cash's dad, Stuart, used to be the assistant manager at, at, at Wimbledon. Stewie Cash. And yeah. <laughs> he was, uh, when, when they went on a scouting mission, him and Terry Brown, who was the Wimbledon manager at the time. And um, it was, I guess, a couple of years before, before um, Brian Clough passed. And it was at, at Burton. And he saw him in the, in the crowd, as he often was at Burton, to, to, to watch Nigel's um, boys. And um, Terry Brown goes to Stuart Cash because he used to be a reserve team left back at Nottingham Forest. He's like, go up and introduce us. I really want to meet Clough. And he's like, he's not going to remember me, is he? Yeah. And um, I was just a reserve team player. I never even played for the first team. And he's like, come on, come on. You only live once. Introduce me. And so he's all right. And uh, Stuart Cash goes up to him and goes, uh, hello, Mr. Clough. I don't know if you remember me. And he goes, I remember you. You're the worst left back that ever played for me. <laughs> Great Sorry. stuff. Great yeah. stuff. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Matt Cash is a good player, though, at least. He is yeah. A good <laughs> yeah. And you know what else he has? Great hair. Great hair. He's a great looking lad, I great think. Hair. I think a lot, of, a lot of the attention, re the style and the hair, is focused on Grealish. Mm. I think Matty Cash slips right under that radar. Well, don't you think it's, it's very on brand and very Birmingham, isn't it? With the Peaky Blinders vibe, isn't it? He with... also has the short shorts and the socks rolled down, but people don't notice it as much. I reckon he'd pull off that zebra jumper that you're wearing. But I'm not pulling off. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, yours. Appreciate I didn't it. say it. I didn't Appreciate say it. it. The implication was quite clear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like uh, the way that the European Super League doesn't look like a disaster on paper, but actually everyone knows it is. Yeah. Hey, I'm loving the animal print. Is this the biggest disaster of the week? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> It's not far off. Yeah. Um, right, what about the goals? Phil Foden, lovely bit of no-look finishing there. That well, he's, was nice, it, well, he's a man. he's a man who must be protected at all costs and <laughs> must play a big role for England in the summer. Uh, no question about it. The, he's, he's incredible. We used to moan about Pep Guardiola not playing him. Pep, just bench him for the rest of the season yeah. now. <laughs> you don't need him, mate. Keep him safe for the Euros, right? I'm, I'm very, very down with the stern-faced, serious young English players vibe at the moment. You know, the, the, the way the, the, the ball goes in, he's like, yeah, I'm not celebrating that. It's only an equaliser against Villa. Mm-hmm. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not celebrating that. It's strong Jude Bellingham vibes. He be- yeah, it is actually. Oh, yeah. Why is Jude Bellingham so serious for him at a boy so young? I feel like he should be doing pro set cards still. <laughs> <laughs> or kind of playing on playing on his um, switch. Hey, no. young young people aren't interested in football, according to the Super League people. That's remember, oh, yeah, is, is that why they're not celebrating goals? That's why. Yeah. I, mean, I, I don't know any young people, so don't, don't ask me. <laughs> <laughs> Way past but, it. But I hope I hope Phil I hope Phil Foden does celebrate when he inevitably gets a goal or two in the dead rubber in the final group game for England when they're already out. Yeah. That'd be nice. That's a bit of optimism. <laughs> <laughs> Been burnt too many times before, Brussels. That's what it is. Uh, what about Rodri getting involved as well? He's a man of the people, isn't he? I've heard so many uh, great stories about him. Um, he was studying for a business and economics degree and living in student digs when he was on 120 grand a week. Um, and uh, that was when he was at Villarreal. And until recently, apparently, he was driving a second-hand Corsa, which he'd bought off an elderly woman. Ah. Yeah, it's nice. I think if it's the one Sweet, I'm thinking it? of, it's a is it bright red? I think it's bright red, and it does look like the car that you you know like an 
older person would have just to go and do the shopping. Yeah. Which I think is funny. That is cute. It's a far, it's a far cry from Mickey Gray's famous Ferrari at Sunderland, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> when he got sent over from training for turning up in it. Yeah, that, that's what that's what um, Chris Eagles had, didn't he? For, uh, when he was Chris at, when, Eagles when is he, a name I haven't heard for a when while. He was at, when he was at Burnley from his, his Manchester United legacy, he had a very, very flash sports car and he, he turned up at Burnley and he parked it in between a couple of Ford Orions. I'm not even sure I know who Chris Eagles is. So he was a midfield player for um, for Man United, but he never quite made the grade, right? And he went like you that say. That doesn't mean you can't afford a flash sports <laughs> car. So basically, had a flash sports car. Despite I've just checked, he only played six times in the league for Man United. Yeah, well, that's still pro for Man United, isn't it? I'm oh, yeah. So. Yeah. He had he had a very um, kind of 2005 haircut. Did he? Yeah. If I, from what I remember, was it in two thousand and five though? Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> if you, if you, if, but, but what I'm saying is, if you if you would, from as far as I remember, and people forgive, forgive me if I'm wrong, if you were to Google what do football players' hairstyles look like in two thousand and five, <laughs> Chris Eagles would cop, would come up straight oh, really? away. Yeah, okay. I think so. That'll think be so. the first thing I Google when <laughs> right next to Marin Schmack. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a bit like it was a bit like a Schmack, even though he was like five years after his time, really, wasn't he? he? Well, very much so. Yeah. yeah. Five years after his time when it comes to taking chances as well. <laughs> uh, well, look, it's another win for City and it's a big week ahead for them. Obviously, you've got the, um, the cup final on Sunday against Spurs, which is looking more and more on paper like it's a it's going to be a w- another win in the League Cup final for City. But you never know. Cup finals are cup finals. And then first leg against PSG next week. And that's obviously their big focus, isn't it, Andy? It is. But in a way, I'm kind of more excited about the... Um, League Cup final because there'll be fans there. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be great. And also, we can all now we've we've seen off the uh, the spectre, the uh, the night goblin that is the European Super League. We can enjoy proper down to earth football like Man City v PSG next week. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, when you said night goblin, yeah. Florentino Perez did pop into my head there. Seventy four year old man, have a bit of respect. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Andy and Luke's takes on the European Super League coming up after the break. Before that, though, just to let you know that on this week's Between the Lines, uh, it's an amazing insight this week into Crystal Palace midfielder Lee Nicole. Melissa Reddy is going to be talking to her about when her iCloud got hacked in 2019. Some intimate footage was leaked from it and she talks about how damaging that was on her mental health and how she's used her experiences to help inspire others. Really, really fascinating listen um, because mental health isn't something that she's talked about often or that we talk about often really either in football so it is well worth a listen search between the lines with melissa ready in your podcast app to give that a listen we'll take a break when we come back uh, our takes on the super league and a little bit more as well Pete from the WhatsApp group. It yeah. Was. yeah. <laughs> we... Well, didn't someone oh mention the God. ref was really, really handsome bloke? Yes. And then Pete is... came back with that. Yeah. <laughs> that should just be the new email jingle, I think. Yeah. <laughs> we never know what comes with those uh, those little break little jingles. Andy, do you remember it when it Andy's happened on the WhatsApp? It. Do you remember it? I think he does remember it. He definitely does. <laughs> Which ref was it? Was it was it Mike Dean? Uh, no, it, no, definitely. Oh, who? What was his name? Do you remember the sexy I can't remember. ref? It, it, it it'll was never a really know. Good sexy ref. One. It was a sexy ref for Europe. I think European yeah. one, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. People on Twitter get in touch with your suggestions. I feel like it was a Portuguese one or something. Pete can confirm all the <laughs> It Feels like a feature. Yeah, it yeah, does. does. Send in your sexy refs. <laughs> uh, right, it's now time. What the Beatles would have wanted. Yeah. <laughs> now time for this. Piano bar vibes with Sven. It stops too abruptly for me, though. That's the only yeah. criticism I've got. Apart from that, it's very Miami Beach. I'd like it to tinkle off a little bit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I would, mm. I would as well. Um, I'm delighted that Donald Glover is A, a fan of the show, <laughs> yeah. and B, has taken time out of recording yeah. Series 3 of Atlanta yeah. to... 
bit childish that. Gambino about it. Um, yeah. Andy laughed so much at Pete's little jingle there that um, he almost lost one of his contact lenses. <laughs> and, he spent the, and he spent the email jingle trying to put it back in. I can't, I can't believe he can do it to me from distance now. Yeah, no, yeah, it's frightening. Uh, by the way, that email jingle was sent in by Bryn Morgan. Thank you. Not the sexy ref one, uh, the, the actual email jingle. Yeah. So thanks, thanks for Bryn. that, Bryn. Um, keep those coming in. Um, first email today comes from Will Brown. Uh, off the back of... Our Super League chat all week. He said there is already a Super League. It's called the Irish League. Mm. This is coming from a Glentoran fan who moved from East Belfast to North Sydney 13 years ago and can't stomach watching the A-League over in Australia. If they were playing in my backyard, I'd actually close the curtains, he says. Um, Last week at a game in Lund, someone tied a cameraman's shoelaces to the fence by the pitch (laughs) and he had to be rescued by a bloke from St John's Ambulance. That's amazing. So I've seen the video, or it's not really a video. It's like a, it's a still footage, a still, sorry, still, a still photo of this, right? And it's the the lines, sorry, the cameraman with his feet up against the fence, lying down <laughs> on his stomach, right? And um, and his feet, it's kind of the fence is behind him, if that makes sense. And there's a photo of a man in a high vis vest, right, fiddling with his shoes. Now I assumed initially that that was helping him be rescued. But the way the cameraman is just carrying on with his work, I wonder whether it was an inside That's job. The wow. And someone actually at the club wearing a high vis vest, which means obviously you must be working there, tying his shoes up to the fence. That's great stuff. I, see, I really hope that's the case. I'd misheard that. I, I, I misheard it originally as linesman's shoelaces. No, that uh, would have been amazing. No, that would be fun. That would, uh, actually, I'll, I'll there's, to, there's a challenge for you. I need to rephrase <laughs> that. League. It says here that would be uh, disappointing to a really important <laughs> professional part of the game. <laughs> Not amazing, as I said earlier. It would have been amazing. It's great that you just carried on with his work, though, isn't yeah, it? professional. Like, yeah, you know. Got to get those shots off. Got to crack on. Got to get those shots off. What I always find amazing, this is a bit of a Pete Donaldson point, but what I always find amazing is that I'm, I think I'm right in saying these days, the cameramen at the side of the pitch, they upload their photos instantly to like Getty or to the internet from their cameras. So back in the Club day... Club Wi-Fi how, pending. What, live? Yeah, so how... Well, we're never happy with them, I guess. But, right. but back in the day, of course, you'd have to be developed. Mm. Isn't it amazing how much technology has affected it, whereas they take a shot, happy with that, uploaded, instant. All right, you old man. It's just great. That's, that's <laughs> great the internet. Stuff. <laughs> I've, got, to the internet, I've got a printer where you don't even need <laughs> wires at home. You're older than me, Brussel. <laughs> <laughs> but you wouldn't know it. Not in heart, not in spirit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've got one from Jamie White here. Hey, Ramblers, the events of the past 72 hours have been quite dramatic and needless to say, we are all relieved that the gambit has failed. But this debacle made me finally made me go and look at what UEFA has passed for 2024 changes to the UCL. Two automatic slots for teams that didn't qualify based on historical coefficients, whatever that means, we can explain what that means in a minute, um, protecting the historic 12 ESL clubs probably not counting Ajax's history or Aston Villa's history, etc. Again, I read that as EFL clubs. Uh, <laughs> that would have been different. Uh, and a single massive group of 36 teams uh, where the top 24 will qualify for the playoffs. This is the American model as well. The awful model where somehow two-thirds of the teams in the league make the playoffs. How can fans and the football community bring the same sort of outrage against these changes as were brought against the ESL. There are more awful things in these changes, but I fear its lack of immediacy will not draw fans' ire until it's far too late. Thanks, mm, Jamie. Yeah. This is probably quite a good point to refresh, I think, on what UEFA passed on Monday for the um, 2024-25 season going onwards. And yeah, it is an expansion of um, the opening stage from... 32 to 36 teams, but it's the fact that it's all in one big lead. They're, they're using the the phrase Swiss model. I think, again, that was to muddy the water a little bit because yeah. I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure the Swiss Super League didn't go like that. No, it's a Swiss chess tournament that happened like 105 years ago or something. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. How long did they search for that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they must have been done before somehow. Well, we'll, we'll squeeze it in. Probably not that far in Switzerland's noble sporting tradition. <laughs> yeah. And because they're Swiss-based, of course. But I think um, that the idea is, um, it's one single league made up of 36 teams. And um, the, the idea is that everyone plays 10 matches, five home, five away. Presumably dependent on seeding, etc. Um yeah, and uh, there are extra four additional spots allocated. One of the additional places goes to the club ranked third in the championship of the association in fifth place in the UEFA National Association ranking. So that would be France at the moment. So France would get three in. So they're all on board for it 
in right. France. Of course. Right. Um, another would be awarded to a domestic champion by extending from four to five the number of clubs qualifying from the so-called champions path. So that suggests a uh, domestic champion in a weaker league. Um, slots three and four awarded to the two clubs. So it's not all four of them. It would be about the clubs with histor highest historical club co coefficients. It says uh, highest club coefficients that have not qualified automatically for the Champions League league stage, but have qualified either for the Champions League qualification phase or the Europa League stroke um, Europa Conference League due to start in 21-22, as, as we know, which Tottenham will automatically be guaranteed a place in if they win um, the Cup on Sunday. So right. that, that's something to look forward to. Ryan Mason garnering them a place in the Conference League. I'm sure he'll get a big pat on the back of that. <laughs> so anyway, that, that would be the idea. In terms of hist historical coefficient, it's basically meaning, say this season, if Liverpool finish fifth or sixth and they don't get in, they'll get a little leg up because they've had a good last five years in the Champions League. And I think Jamie's hit the nail on the head there oh, because no. because he, he, he said... Well, it's not. It's not. There's not going to be a a protest or a, sen a sense of outrage, to use his word, uh, because it is a, a kind of creeping death, right? So, the reason that um, people were able to quite vociferously and con in a concentrated way be able to sort of protest about the ESL is because it was so out there in your face, right? It mm. was actually quite surprising at first. I know a lot's happened since then, but I don't know if you guys agree. But for me, it was quite surprising for, at first how blatant it was how many big moves were being made by these big kind of decision makers at the top of the game yes. and how blatant they were being about it, right? And what I mean by that is not consulting players, not consulting really, in a lot of cases, the managers, not consulting the leagues. And leaving them to be spokespeople for exactly. it. Exactly. So, yeah. so that's why it was so easy to protest against it, I suppose. But in this case, we have seen this creeping kind of change for a while, taking the game more and more away from its traditional roots, I would argue. But... What's got to be considered, and what Jamie doesn't mention in his email, you know, because he's probably, he doesn't want to make his email 50,000 words long, and I understand that, is part of the reason these changes are happening is also because of the way these European Super League clubs and decision makers are behaving and hanging it like a sword of Damocles over football mm. and have been for quite a long time. Now, what's, I think, fascinating about it, and I know... Um, Miguel Delaney is going to talk about this on, on the continent, which, which will come out later today, um, that actually you could argue that's now been removed because the, the, the hand that the big clubs had to play, they've now played mm -hmm. and it didn't work. And there's no real way back for it now in the near future. So how's that going to change the game more broadly? That's well, those, what's those, interesting about those it. Those presidents, the Perez's and the Agnelli's, have, have just totally weakened themselves. Haven't Completely. They? They've made themselves look ridiculous. I, I wonder if there's possibility for this format to be fiddled with a little bit in response to that well, they will because be, of, sure. of course there's there's going to be argument within the game about that and that's the thing that I find remarkable about this whole Super League thing is they got so much of what they wanted with this 2024 Champions League format I mean it, to me it always felt like but a it still Super wasn't League enough for them. a Super League by stealth it still wasn't enough for them and, and on the European Super League more more generally you know how much more evidence do you want that the people who have been invited into this game through a lack of regulation and through no, through almost like a hand-wringing approach from decision-makers at Premier League level, at UEFA level, whatever, but UEFA have done some stuff. I mean, you know, don't want to go into it into, de into detail at the moment, but now, but they've done some stuff to kind of try and regulate. But the Premier League, for example, have done absolutely, they're based on the square root of fuck all, right? Mm. So they've invited, in some cases, actively encouraged the money to come into the game at the top level for all these clubs that are owned by, all these European Super League clubs that are owned by the people they're owned by. Now, if you take Liverpool, for example, I'm not picking on them any, for any particular reason. Um, you could equally say the same thing about the Glazers at United. You could certainly say the same thing about Cronkite Arsenal in a slightly different way. Liverpool is an example. They are owned by owners who should be broadly actually very fucking popular at Liverpool. They took over from Hicks and Gillette, who was the, which was the nadir of ownership for them in recent years. Yeah. Um, and they've won loads of stuff. But actually, they're, they're, they're very unpopular. And the reason they're unpopular is because they've made a load of decisions in, at a storied, historic, well-respected club worldwide that have shown themselves to be out of touch and their ambitions to not be aligned with a normal football fan's ambitions. They furloughed staff when they didn't need to. They haven't funded their women's team. Um, they tried to trademark the word Liverpool, for those who've forgotten that. They were, they were the driving force behind Project Big Picture, which you'll see as a power grab at an opportune moment. They've hiked ticket prices, and now they've done this European Super League thing, right? Their tone-deaf decisions have been consistent throughout their ownership. You know, so so 
it's not surprising that this stuff is happening. And perhaps we should be a little bit more, or sorry, a little bit less surprised when these things happen. But again, because it's been so blatant, I think even this shocked even the football fans out of their kind of comatose state of just being used to the to, to being fucked over regularly and this and this kind of um, idea that they are not welcome they're not they're not really respected and that people just don't care about them and this has been a way of crystallizing that i mean i have to say one of the most overlooked disappointing things uh, about the, the the super league is the way that they kind of tacked on that two line thing about the the parallel women's super league Yes, uh, I agree. It's complete lip service. It's complete bollocks. And it showed, like, you know, you, you look at the people running it. I mean, you can have your doubts about the people who would be running the Super League anyway and their grasp of finances. Where but would the, the diversity the, be in that boardroom? Exactly. But the grasp of, like, even knowing what's currently going it's on non-existent. On, uh, on women's football. Yeah. You know, you're looking at Real Madrid and Manchester United, who started their women's season like five minutes ago. Yep. Is absolutely outrageous. I mean, I know you're the best team, the best women's team in the world. And how would they? How would they get in if it's it like wasn't if exactly. it was an equivalent? It's exactly. like they've assumed that actually it directly transposes across. Yeah. Oh, well, these just, must be the biggest team in women's football as which well. Which just shows yeah. a complete lack Lip service. of of knowledge of the women's game, and it's it's embarrassing. The whole mm. thing was so embarrassing that that was just tacked on as like the final bullet point in their sort of plans. You know and, what and I mean? Then, yeah. And these mealy mouthed like apologies afterwards. I mean, I know the guys covered it earlier in the week. It's just, it's just bullshit. It's like, it's ultimate bullshit. It's like a ten-year-old sp- being made to say sorry because they got caught doing something. That's, That's exactly it. it. That's it's exactly nothing, it. It's nothing. It's not even that. I'm sorry if you were offended by something I did, which is bullshit as well. It's, it's yeah. the fact that they got caught and they couldn't get away with it. And, and I, I, I find the idea that they thought even for, and, and look, we can we can complicate this if you want we can we can add to the discourse by saying oh maybe it was just a a, a move and a negotiation tactic for the 3D chess that is getting a better champions league fine maybe it was that but ultimately that's not the point no it wasn't that i, I don't think it was that anyway it wasn't that. But, but but that's not the point the point is they are the, the moves that they are the, the moves they made the moves that they have been proven to to have made resigning from jobs um, putting high stake stuff out there, doing a website, making a press release, taking preemptive legal action against what they thought was going to happen from UEFA. These are serious moves. They intended to do at least something, mm-hmm. right? And the fact that they thought that was even possible is a damning indictment of what football's become. And the fact that they were surprised by the reaction is a damning indictment of how out of touch they are. And I hope this is the first battle in the war to bring football back to something approaching what um, it was in the past, not because I've got this sepia-tinged idea of back in the day it was real football and I'm against modern football because I'm not, broadly speaking, but it, there does need to be a redressing of the balance. It's not going to be comprehensive. It's not going to be universal. You can't unring a bell. I think everyone understands that, but you can take a little bit of real estate back. You can strike a blow in the war for football being returned to back to at least something resembling what it was before and bringing fans far more central into what the football experience is. And as for... Um, what Florentino Perez has said in the last 24 hours. I mean, to be honest, that should be just treated with the contempt it deserves as essentially the ramblings of a, you know, of an old man who has no idea. Let's make it absolutely clear. Has absolutely no idea of what the um, real world is. And it's also the desperation of a man who has overseen, and Andy might be able to correct me on this, but I'm fairly certain, has overseen an, essentially a glorified bankrupting of some of the biggest clubs in the world by his own ridiculous practices. I thought we got quite a good deal on uh, Ruben, um, uh, Eden Hazard. <laughs> but the point is, they need it, right? Why haven't, why haven't the Spanish Maybe clubs... you should have bought Ruben Hazard instead. <laughs> but why haven't, why, haven't the Spanish, why haven't the Spanish clubs pulled out quicker? Because they need it. Yeah. They need it. Look at the state of Barcelona financially. They need it, right? And it's, it's also interesting to me the, um, the way that Chelsea approached it because it goes a little bit underrepresented that Chelsea have done a lot of stuff off the pitch to kind of build their reputation, to try and make their reputation better. They've done lots of outreach stuff around the fan base. They've, they've tried to, to, to kind of rehabilitate their reputation. Now, you might be cynical about that. I think that's impossible, but they kind of have. And they were very reticent to get involved as far as, as, far as I know, and they're also very quick to remove themselves. So mm-hmm. it's quite interesting, the whole dynamics at play. I think that um, from a lot of the points you've just made there, Luke, I think what's, what's key now is kind of what happens next, because... 
yes, ultimately, it is a good thing that the six Premier League clubs that were initially involved in this European Super League have all decided to withdraw. And obviously, we're all happy about that. None of us wanted this European Super League to happen. But it's now what happens with those clubs? What what do the fans do? Will there be forgiveness? I just can't see, if you're a supporter of that club, how you can forgive your owners for putting your club in that situation in the first place. That's one point to make. Then you've got the rest of the teams in the Premier League, the 14 that weren't involved. And for them, those six clubs have just stuck two fingers up at the rest yep. of the league and gone, you know what? We can leave this. We don't need this. Like that. There's so much disrespect around the whole thing and it just shows such a yeah. lack of kind of of understanding of what football means to everyone who is important to the club. Well, well, there's, there's, first of all, they're thanking their lucky stars there's no fans in the stadium. Let's, absolutely, let's get that right. I mean, they must be absolutely delighted. I but but be, that's, that's emboldened them to do this, hasn't it? I, wouldn't be, I was going to say, I wouldn't be surprised if that factored into their decision-making process on their timing. But well. uh, what, what I find... to do it during the middle of a season is a fucking disgrace. Yeah. What, yeah. I, what I find extraordinary... <laughs> is that there are clearly club presidents and chairmen at the top of the game who thought, you know what, we can, we can survive without fans, it's fine. Like wholly overlooking the fact that even if you're someone who only ever has the opportunity to watch it on television, we've all discussed it time and time again on here. Football in the last year has been an adequate spectacle. It has not been a great spectacle by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. And the sooner the fans get back in there, that that does make a huge difference mm. to, to, to people who watch it on TV all over the world. And I think it's massively disrespectful when Jules talked quite rightly about a lack of respect. You know, we talk about how it's a, a lack of respect to clubs and their local communities. It's actually a lack of respect to global fans of football, some of whom will never get a chance to, to come and see those games in their favourite team stadiums or whatever. Because to think that they don't care about I don't know, Barcelona playing Espanyol or um, Liverpool playing Everton. Of course they care about that. Yeah. Those little petty squabbles <clears throat> that enliven us and underpin our joy in football are also important to them. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Um, I, I think um, it's a really good point. And I think we've been seduced into get being used to what football is like to watch now because of the pandemic and I think when fans do come back it will be like an explosion for the senses and it will be a completely mm. different thing again and it will be a, be like a it will be as stark a, a change as it was when the fans weren't there and how it, it'll, it'll be like 28k yeah to be able to go yeah <laughs> but to go back to your to your question Jules I don't know what you think about it but for me that those clubs have to I'm only speaking on behalf of the English clubs I suppose because because we, we cover mostly English football on this show but they have to be punished. And I think there's a limit to what you can punish them on because you have to you have to acknowledge their power and you have to accept that. You can't be you have to you have to go into battle on, you know, within the within the terms of reality. And the reality is that, you know, part of the reason that the Premier League oversees football rights um and finances were skewed in favour of those big six clubs initially is because they are a big appeal. So you yeah, can't keep, no denying you that. can't cut yeah. your nose off to spite your face. Mm. But but they should be punished. And the reason they should be punished is because if you don't punish them in three, four, five years' time. It'll happen it, again. Yeah, I think I think there's a good chance it could do. Yeah, there's just something really seedy about all of that going on behind closed doors. Then making this announcement late on Sunday and just expecting that the players, the managers, and the fans, the people who are out there that have to actually be seen, are the ones that had to kind of yes, yeah, front up to it all, and that mm. not one of the owners at that stage between you know now and, and, and when it was initially sort of announced on Sunday had really come out and said anything. No. It's just the whole thing well, it was just like, mind-blowing. It's like Vish was saying earlier in the week, wasn't it? You know, Joel Glazer never speaks. You never hear from him. No. You know, yeah, he's, he puts his name to this stuff. You know, it's, it's, it shows you exactly what um, what, what they, the contempt they hold their, their their football club in. I mean, I think it's not a surprise that because the Glazers are the Glazers and, and you know, they need to go over the old ground of everyone knows what they're like and what they've done at Manchester United. But, it's it's it does speak volumes when that kind of stuff happens, and also um, uh, one one thing that perhaps is underpinning all this, which is worth, it's quite an uncomfortable truth, but I think it is a truth, is that the world does change in a pretty quick fashion these days, and there are, I mean, Agnelli's ridiculous quotes about different things, like you're talking about Call of Duty one minute and Fortnite the next, and oh yeah, but there's a lot of competition for kids and what they what they look at and what they oh, want to be entertained. That's the embarrassing. worst, the worst argument for this ever. It, like that, yeah, uh, just but, but, annoys me. But the point for me though is that 
Of course, football, if it was responsible, would take into account the fact that the world is changing. There's different competition for entertainment options and all that kind of stuff. But it would do it in a responsible way, not in a way to say, I need all this money and I don't <laughs> want to turn this into a closed shop because, I don't know, uh, kids are playing Call of Duty. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Oh, and James ridiculous. Horncastle, previous, previous to this parish, James Horncastle spoke quite eloquently about it the other day. He said, it's mad because this has been set up as being driven by American owners who want to adopt an American form of sport. But Andrea Agnelli's been part of a family dynasty. It's only event since 1923. Yeah. He knows football well, mm. right? So who's the most cynical? The guys who don't know any better because it's what they're used to or Andrea Agnelli? I would say it's Andrea Agnelli. And the final thing on this from me, I would say that I remember reading or hearing an interview with Robert Kraft, who owns the New England Patriots. And he was asked if he would ever invest in a Premier League club. And he said straight away, no chance. I will never invest it because it's not responsible to do so in a sport that has relegation. You never can. It's not, it's, not a, it's not a responsible investment because no matter how small the chance is, if my team that I've bought drops out of that top division, there's probably no way back for us. So I'm never going to get near it. And that tells you everything you need to know about the attitude of the American investors in these clubs in this country because they've taken the risk and they're trying to mitigate that risk. You know what he needs to do? He needs to get on the phone to Mike Ashley relegation's not the end <laughs> Mike Ashley who's probably loving the last couple of days and going I'm now the uh, seventh worst owner <laughs> in English like football yesterday, I'm little, really poor I've got no money he's yeah, got a little yeah. league ladders yeah, of, yeah. of worst club owners yeah. on the on the wall of his desk love it um, look uh, I wonder what's going to be the subject of player paths right today who, we're about to find out Jules who is the most hated owner because it is about <laughs> time for Play your parts right. What a step change. What step change this ramble that. show is, is capable changer. of. Here we go. Barton might have gone and Trevino did. Why Barton? Well, because he grabbed him by the throat. Well, I just thought that uh, firstly the guy's dived. Has anyone, has anyone taken, has anyone <laughs> oh, taken Pard's take? What's Pard's take on the Super League? He must, have a, he, he must have a hot take on it. He's probably got a dance for it. <laughs> Special dance for it. Probably. Um, it is time to play your parts right. It's a higher or lower game, as you guys well know. By now, the world record is held by Mr. Andy Brassel, sat on my left, who did uh, achieved an extraordinary score of seven on his own. <laughs> but you two are going to work together today. And last time, me and Vish did pretty well together. We got six, didn't we? You got close. Yeah, you we got nearly close. got So now can, me can and I Andy just... together, this could, be, this could be strong. The tension was high. Look. Look, you know I love working with Jules, but... Are we working together on this? I have to, we are working together, okay. but I have to say it's very super legian how you change the rules while <laughs> I was away. I've not played this since getting this seven. Oh, there we go. So I just back in the usher game. through the rules, not asking stakeholders <laughs> about their opinions. <laughs> God, you fucking disgust me. <laughs> it's become you're, a close shot. You're the Agnelli of the Ramble. It's become a close shot. <laughs> what can I say? I'm, I'm the worst of all of us. <laughs> right, what you got for us then, Right, Luke? here what we you go. Got? Well, this week, it's bloody exciting, actually. It's big chances missed in oh, the Premier League. Brighton right? Hove oh, Albion. you're kidding. <laughs> so, <laughs> we'll be top of it yeah. for in, every bit. This is individual players and big chances missed. Uh, in Premier League history, basically. Just oh, shut your Premier face and give us more pie. Yes. Not this season. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it's not, just, it's, <laughs> exactly. it's not just this season, though. So we start, as ever, with uh, our, our friend Alan Pards, Pardew, who at time of recording has missed zero big chances in the Premier League. <laughs> um, so the first player, I want you to know whether it's, I want to know if it's higher or lower than zero. Obviously, in this game, really, you get the first one for free. So seven doesn't as impressive as it sounds, actually. Mm. It's, like, it's, like, it's like the £100 question on Millionaire, isn't it? Yeah. It's a little bit, yeah. Although yeah. some people have got that wrong. Yeah, have they? Yeah, yeah, I remember once seeing a woman who had did 50-50 on which of these is the biggest, and she had 50-50, and she had left Elephant and the Moon. <laughs> and she went for Elephant. And that's on YouTube. You can check that out. No. So anyway, here's hoping you won't do this wrong. <laughs> so first player, higher or lower... In big chances missed, these are all according to Premier League and Opta, higher or lower than zero, Emmanuel Adebayor. <laughs> how, how, how many big chances has he missed in his career in the Premier League? Is it higher or lower than zero? Have we not got jingle music like, while we answer? No. Oh, right. Okay, higher then. This is BT Sport. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wait. I, thought, <laughs> wait I saw your finger hovering over a button. I thought you were going to uh, no. you know, play some little, some like lift music while we have a think. Just that little one. There. Okay. That, um, means we, that means we've got three. Once you've done no, the jingle, it no, it's official. You can't take it back. No. <laughs> 53 big chances. Emmanuel Adebayor missed. Okay. According to Opta, 53. he has missed 53 <gasps> quote unquote big chances. Yeah. Okay. Next player. Has he missed higher or lower? Then 53, Hugo Rodallega. So this is interesting to see because you've got to do 
you've got to factor in how many chances he would have had, mm. how effective a striker he is, whether up to think it's a big chance or not. So 53 for Emmanuel Adebayor, Hugo Rodiega. Lower. You think lower? Yes. That's also yes. correct. You got two. 33 big right? chances. Okay. He missed. Okay. The next player. He's missed more than that in the Turkish Super League, exactly. let me tell you. <laughs> this season. Um, <laughs> higher or lower than 33. Our next player is Daniel Sturridge. Ooh. You got two so far. Yeah. Me and Andy are in agreement. Higher. You reckon higher? higher. It's also correct. Yes. You want to have a guess at how many big chances Daniel Sturridge has missed? I'm going to go for 78. Oh, yeah. I think around 60. 59. Ooh. Very good, Jules. Sorry, Daniel. Very cool. Uh, After he had his pace rubbished as well. I know. It's the latest kick in the guts. Yeah. Um, so uh, 59 for Daniel Sturridge. Our next player is Sergio Aguero. Big chances miss Sergio Aguero. Higher well, than 59. He's, he's absolutely clinical, clinical, isn't he? But, but he's played he's a long he's played, time. He's played here for 10 years. Time, so I think higher. Yeah. Do you think higher? Oh, but he's going to miss more than six a season, right? 100%. Yeah. Yeah? Higher. That's yes. correct. Good. 127 for Sergio Aguero. Yeah, see? But when you score that many goals, people don't remember the chances yeah. you missed. Mm. And that's four you've got. Well done. The next player, higher or lower than Sergio Aguero, is your friend and mine, Mr. Wayne Rooney. 127 was Aguero, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Higher or lower? This, this is, to, I, would you say? More. Higher, yeah. I think. I think more. You sure? Yeah. Yeah. No! Oh! It's got to be close. It's got to be close. It's a joke. Clearly they need help. They do need help. They do need <laughs> got help. Got to be close though. A poor score of four for both of you together. I think the listeners out there would have had high hopes for you today. Yes. Sorry we um, let you down. According to Opta, Wayne Rooney has only missed 54 Wow. What? For the amount of time he played in the Premier League. Yeah. That's astonishing. Well, it might well be because Opta don't do certain stats before a certain time, you see. So it might well be that it might have come along a little bit later. We need an independent adjudicator for this. There we go. We? Andy's brass was disgusted. I love when Andy loses look, things. <laughs> it's so funny. As I say to you all the time, controversy's good for the show. <laughs> no, it's 54. All that's right, the, that's all, what all right Florentino. Thank you. Next up after that, you could have had, you would have had Peter Crouch and he would have been lower at 48. Lower? Yeah. Um, and it would have gone all the way through to 10. Your final player was Olivier Giroud. We'll never know now because you fucked you it up. You didn't, stick any, <laughs> <laughs> you didn't stick any Brighton players in there for me. I didn't know. With afraid. their XG. No, I didn't do that. No. A lot higher than that. that. Yeah. Uh, well, there you go. Play your paths right. Enjoyable, even though we didn't beat the score from last time, although Andy, you still hold the uh, record. So. Maybe I lost on purpose. Well, <laughs> maybe you did. Oh, I see. He, did you, he was the one that told me to go lower on that. And like Wayne he was. He was pointing higher, the whole time. Sorry, no, he? higher. He told yeah. me. To, yeah. Before we go, do you want to have one See, more? I'm in John Henry Gillet. Do you want this again? I'm really sorry <laughs> yeah, that went exactly, wrong. Yeah. <laughs> sorry I got found out. <laughs> do you want to have one more of these before we go? Go on. How are the fuck? How are the news. Um, Why not? I can't just chuck things in like that. I'll though. do what I want. You threw me off there. Oi, what would Pard say? Well, you're the king. You can do what you he want. He really is Agnelli. Does what he wants, doesn't he? He does what he wants. Part of an illustrious footballing family since 1923. He does what he wants. Um, you're back tomorrow to do what you want again uh, with Kate and Jim on tomorrow's yeah. show. Andy, tell us a bit about what's coming up on the continent. Nothing really, is there? Yeah, there might be a little bit of Super League chat out how the German teams put the kibosh on it. And speaking of Germany, we'll also be talking about the departure of Hansi Flick. That's on Football Ramble Presents from later. Yes. No no room for Andy to get some kind of Romanian second division chat in this week. <laughs> it's too busy. That's what you think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tune in. Save it all for next week. Thanks for listening, guys. Catch you soon. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creator Network.